There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, uh, we're chatting to Callum McSwiggan. He is a writer, a campaigner, a radio presenter, a filmmaker, uh, and his debut is a memoir, Eat Gay Love. It's out now. Now, we talk about making the transition between experience and memoir. Like, what makes your story good enough to tell? Uh, How do you remember everything you did, quite simply? How do you do that? We also talk about his full-on focused writing day, how he distills a life and plots it into 300-odd pages. And you can hear about the one tip that he had which helps him get going every single day. There's also a, a, a piece of advice that I often go back to, and it's something that one of my university lecturers drilled into me constantly over and over again, and that's that you can't edit a blank page. So just just write, just get the words down, even if they're not coming, even if they're coming out jumbled up and it's the worst thing I've ever written just actively, you know, letting my fingers move and just just typing massively, massively helps. More with Callum McSwiggan in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. Uh, This is Writer's Routine, where we try and see how writers get their ideas and then move that idea onto paper and we look at what they do every day to try and get it published. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for finding us and giving us a listen. Uh, This week, it is Callum McSwiggan. His debut is a memoir. It's Eat Gay Love. Uh, Brilliant title, I know. Uh, It's a travel story, and it's also one of finding identity and of understanding the community that you come from. It all started uh, in the spring of 2012 when Callum found himself single after six years. So he took a journey all around the world, from teaching in Rome to uh, to the sex clubs of Berlin, to raising tigers in Thailand, and along the way meeting LGBTQ plus people from all walks of life, and getting to know the the struggles and the stories and the celebrations uh, of people and lives in his community. Now, normally, this podcast is all about authors forming a story idea from from nowhere in their head then letting it percolate and and take shape, and then we find out how they got it down. But I'm really interested in this one. I don't usually speak to memoir writers, because to be honest, I've not quite figured out the way to talk to them, the way to ask them the questions to to get the information that that you're here to find out. But I'm really interested with this one in, in how you take an experience and make it into a story. 
Like, how do you decide what's worth talking about, what's worth leaving out, if, if the whole thing is worth telling at all? How do you take a, a huge chunk of time and, and, and put it into 100,000 words or so? Also, memoirs, almost by definition, they have to have a, a purpose of campaign about them, maybe an element of persuasion. I want to get to the bottom of how you write that in there too. So there's a lot of that in the show. Uh, there's also a lot of like general good writing tips and also some ideas to help you out with your day. Now, before we get into it, just a, a very quick footnote to the show, a little warning. There is quite an annoying high-pitched buzz in there that I just can't edit out. Now, many reviews on Apple Podcasts will say that the high-pitched buzzing is me, but this one, it's actually there in the background some, somewhere. I, I've tried to, to figure it out and to do some like complex audio stuff to try and take it out. I've like kind of managed it, but I can't do it fully uh, for very tedious reasons. It just sounds a bit like a hoover. I've warned you, so now you can't get annoyed with me and switch off, all right? Good, that's a deal. Let's start then with Callum McSwiggan, and we begin as we always do with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. The place I normally sit down to write is at it, at my desk in my little bedroom, and I have a lovely view out over our communal garden where the children are always playing and keeping themselves busy. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not the most exciting view, but but it it it, it keeps me going. What else keeps you going that's inside the room, Callum? Have you got, have you got books? Have you got pictures, arts, uh, uh, mementos from your journey that kind of, that kind of help the, the ideas? Uh, on my writing desk, I, I always keep a stack of books. Um, and I tend to keep the kind of books that... Yeah, they tend to be LGBT plus, LGBT plus books, if I'm honest, um, just because so much of my focus and my passion and my interest is LGBT plus. Um, so I like to keep those on hand so, you know, I can have a little flick through for inspiration if I ever need it or just sometimes just having them there is quite nice as well. How about planning? Is there anything on the walls that help you plan, that help you sift through your ideas, maybe the calendar, the diary of what you did and when? I am the most scattered planner when it, it honestly, um, I always, always have my iPhone with me and I utilise the notes function in there massively. Um, so I constantly am writing th- things in there and I often take, I, f- I find the breaks so, so important. So I'll often go out for a little walk if I'm really struggling to untangle an idea and I'll, I'll jot all of those ideas down in the notes app in my phone. Um, it's probably not the most organized and I've seen some of the other kind of planners and things that writers use. And I, I, I wish I was that organized because my ideas are so scattered and all over the place, but I guess it's, it's finding what works for you and and it it seems to work for me so I I guess that's all that matters. How much do you think you might need to change your system of planning if you were to if you were to be writing a novel you know writing a memoir this is all it's all about ironing out the stuff that has happened to you you know it's there it's about remembering it but but if you were to be writing fiction Callum do you think you might need to come up with a come up with a system that helps you plan your ideas? Absolutely. Um, it's really interesting you mentioned that, actually, because I've, I, have, I have just started working on my first fiction novel. Um, and it has been, from the beginning, it's been a completely different approach, just trying to, you know, as you say, with nonfiction, it's, it's my real life. I already know the path. I already know the journey from start to end. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly the bumps in the road that are going to be coming. But when it comes to fiction, obviously, even if you have a fairly good idea of the story in your mind, you you have to have some form of roadmap for doing that. So I have had to kind of take a lot more of a, a 
planning effort with mapping out the fiction, which has been it's been a, a new experience, but um, a really a really enjoyable one. Um, and yeah, I've been using I forget what it's called. I've been using the kind of fifteen step screenwriters um, guide. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've forgotten what it's called. I, I think a lot of writers have been using it. How have you found it? What's it what, What's it pushing you to do? What are the steps so far? I think it's helping me to, you know, not just look at the overall story arc, but also looking at the the smaller things that move the plot along as well. And kind of taking the time to, to notice and realize that each chapter needs to have almost like an arc of its own and kind of figuring out what those are and where those things are going to fit into place has been so instrumental to me, kind of mapping out that story. Because as I say, with the, with the nonfiction memoir, that story was already there and I didn't have to map it out as much. If I was to write another nonfiction book, though, I do think these kind of techniques that I'm putting into play now could could definitely help with just maybe making the story flow a little better. Not not that it doesn't flow well. I, I, I think it does. But yeah, that's all right. We'll get to selling your book in, in just a sec. You're OK. You don't need to talk yourself down. Um, aside from may, maybe that aspect of, of writing a novel, what else have you found that's different between writing memoir, telling your story, than it is telling a story that's all been created in your mind? I think I ne- what I never would have anticipated in a million years is that I think in a lot of ways writing a non-fiction memoir is a lot more difficult because I'm kind of restricted by the facts. I'm, I'm restricted by the truth. And even though I have that story mapped out for me and I, I know exactly where it's going, there are so many times where you know, it will come to a crucial moment in the narrative. And I will feel like, oh, it would be so much better if this thing happened here, or if this thing happened slightly differently. But you're, you're very much restricted by the truth. So you can't change it. So it's it's almost finding a way around that it's finding a way to, I don't want to say manipulate the truth, because that makes it sound like you're being disingenuous. But it's finding a way to tell the truth in a way that still kind of follows that story arc and takes the reader along with you. And I think that was the biggest challenge with writing the nonfiction. So now, you know, trying to move into fiction, I'm, I'm suddenly, I feel suddenly so liberated by the idea that absolutely anything can happen that I want it to, obviously within reason, you know, it needs to be believable, but you know, I can, I can take the story in whatever direction I choose. And, and it's, it's a great, it's a really freeing feeling. When you're writing a, a book like Eat Gay Love, when it's, it celebrates the LGBT plus community, it, it, when it's written almost for a cause, what, what pressure do you feel on telling a story that is completely yours, but also is, is worthwhile and is useful for a, a lot of people that maybe aren't getting their voices heard? Absolutely. There's, there's an enormous amount of pressure there and the, and the pressure to make sure that I, that I get it right, you know, talking about so many important things, often controversial things, all of these issues that matter so much to so many people. Whereas if I had just written, you know, a fun travel memoir, I, I wouldn't have any of that same weight. There wouldn't be any of the same responsibility around it. So I, I obviously took a lot of time making sure that the research was done right and that I was telling the stories in the right way, which which I really hope that I have done in a way that, that that a lot of people feel properly represents them. 
Um, because obviously within this story as well, there are, it is my story first and foremost, but obviously there are the stories of many other people I met on my travels and, and their stories are so important as well. And it's almost, it's not my place to tell their stories. So it's kind of how their stories sit in relation to me. It's, it's that constantly bringing it back to myself, not trying to speak for other people, but only speaking for myself, which it, 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 it's tricky and it is something that's very difficult to, to balance, but I like to think that I've done my due, due, due diligence to make sure that that's been done in a, in, a, in a respectful way. How long did it take you to become aware that, I know it sounds a bit ridiculous, but you needed to be the focus of your memoir, that if you were telling other people's stories, uh, that would be a bit uh, not, not good, for want of a better phrase? <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was quite difficult, actually, because there's almost something, it's like I'm almost like the opposite of a, a narcissist, like I, I don't want to keep talking about myself. And it was something in the process. I mean, I had an incredible editor, Ian Wong, working on this book with me. Um, and he's LGBT plus himself. And he really, really, really made sure to push me and to remind me that this is my book, and it's my story. And I need to keep bringing it back to myself. But it's but it's actually quite difficult to do you know I've never been the person who wants to keep continually putting myself in the spotlight but with something like this you're you're kind of forced to um and for the right reason as well I think it also you know it, it gives the reader a much better perspective to really be with you throughout the whole story and have you be the central focus but yeah it's 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 something I struggled with I don't know if that's something a lot of non-fiction writers struggle with but it but it definitely was for me just before we move on to the writing day and then more about the story just just lastly about you where does the where does the campaign a part of you come from there are loads of people that uh, have allied themselves to a cause for, for many different reasons but not all of them are as much of a campaigner as you are about an issue no not 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 all of them are advocates for this kind of stuff why what why do you take such an interest in in the culture the community of lgbt plus and, and why are you campaigning for stuff like that when maybe other people aren't i think i mean I, it comes from so many places many of which i i explore within the context of the book itself but i think you know from a young age growing up in a small town where there wasn't very much lgbt plus representation you know i didn't meet another lgbt plus person until i was 16 years old i felt incredibly isolated and, and frightened by the world and i think when when i grew up and i kind of started to find my feet through my travels and through you know building a life for myself here in London where it's incredibly LGBT plus accepting of LGBT plus people I think at that point I thought okay I've figured this out for myself now and I feel relatively happy and content with my own life but let's not forget about all the LGBT plus people I've met along the way who aren't as lucky as I am and all of the people out there still struggling I know there are you know even gay men across this country who are still living in small towns that aren't quite as perhaps accepting and, and, and they're still struggling and they still, they're still having to battle that every single day. So I don't think I ever want to forget my roots or where I've come from. And I think I always want to make sure that I am, you know, not being the voice, but contributing to the conversation. And I think that will always, always appear in my work, no matter, you know, even if I'm writing a, a sci-fi novel. I like to think that I will still make sure that that representation for LGBT plus people is there and addressing some of the issues when that's possible. 
what's probably quite unusual um, is the first thing I do when I wake up is I grab my laptop and I will start writing. So um, we're talking, I've not, I'm not getting out of bed, I'm not brushing my teeth, I'm not doing any of those things. And for me, that is the first opportunity to start unscrambling my thoughts and getting something down onto the page. So that's always the first step for me. And then obviously maybe, you know, not for long, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and then I will get up and prepare myself for the day. Um, and I think I took this advice from, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert maybe who said this, um, that she always likes to prepare herself as if she was going to an office job or something like that. So, you know, don't spend the whole day in my sweatpants, don't spend the whole day on shower, you know, actually get up and prepare myself if I'm actually going to work because, you know, I want to treat this work seriously. And I think even on a psychological level, preparing yourself in that way is really important. So then I would do that. Then I need my coffee. I will sometimes pop out to Starbucks if I want to treat myself. Um, but o otherwise I'll make a coffee at home and then it will basically be work through the rest of the day. What time do you tend to finish up? Uh, it depends if I'm in my stride. You know, I try, I try to work to, you know, civilized working hours. I try to do the nine to five, but Sometimes if I'm really in the flow and I'm still going at five o'clock, I will continue to work sometimes late, late into the night. If I'm enjoying it, I don't want to stop myself because it can be quite it can be quite difficult to get in that into that space sometimes to get into that flow. So if I'm really if I'm really going with it and I'm really enjoying it, then then I won't stop. And quite dully, but how many words are you hoping to get down a day? Have you got a limit? Have you got a goal in mind? Uh, I, t I tend not to focus on words so much, but more on ideas. So I will often say, okay, there's this part of the narrative that I really want to structure and I really want to untangle today. So I will I would kind of set myself as, as that being the goal. And so it's not necessarily um, restricted to word count, but more about sections of the story. Now, this is your debut. Were you writing this whilst you were doing other things to make some cash? Yeah, so I actually started writing this book gosh, many years now, maybe three and a half years ago. Um, when I started writing this book, I was still working full time for an HIV charity called Terence Higgins Trust. Um, and they were very, very generous. And I was extremely lucky that they actually gave me one day, um, one day a week off work so that I could focus on other projects, this book being a major part of that. And, you know, having that extra time to start getting some ideas down and start constructing a proposal for the book was what allowed me to get an agent who then supported me all throughout the process of publishing the book. So I was very, very lucky in that respect. I realized that a lot of people don't have that freedom, that financial freedom to explore their ideas. And maybe I wouldn't be sitting here with a book today if it, if it wasn't for having that. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to have been given that opportunity. How good are you at the end of the day? I know you said you, you, you would carry on if you're in the flow, but when you have closed your laptop, when you're uh, just chilling, how good are you at switching it off, switching off that storytelling? I, 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 I'm terrible at it. I don't think it, I don't think it ever stops. But, you know, I, I, I do often think that so much of the writing happens when you're away from the laptop. You know, that sitting down at the laptop is really, it, it, that is just, you know, pouring onto the page but I think the figuring out the ideas figuring out the story so much of that happens when I'm just going about and living my life which is again why I try to make sure that I do things like go for a walk without music or without my phone as a distraction or even things like swimming because that is really when I can start to get into the meat of those stories so I never really switch off um 
I try, but it but it's but it's hard. But I, I I love what I do, you know. So it's it's not necessarily a chore if I am still thinking about the next story I want to tell. Aside from the moments where you take a walk or you pop off to Starbucks and and busy yourself with ideas on your phone, is there anything else that that just helps you get the words down when you are having moments where where the next one just won't come? Have you got like a little trick that that's maybe quite individual to you, a, a specific type of music, mixing things up? How do you do it? I, I mean, I do find music massively helpful, but always music without lyrics, without words. So, you know, your kind of cinematic move, uh, your kind of cinematic movie music, I find massively helps. Like the Gladiator theme, Thelma and Louise, Inception, all of that helps. And I feel like it really helps to um, set the mood as well. You know, if I, if I want a really dramatic scene, then, you know, pull up something from Jurassic Park or something and that will definitely help. Um, and there's, there's also a, a, a piece of advice that I often go back to, and it's something that one of my university lecturers drilled into me constantly over and over again, and that's that you can't edit a blank page. So just just write, just get the words down, even if they're not coming, even if they're coming out jumbled up and it's the worst thing I've ever written, just actively, you know, letting my fingers move and just, just typing massively, massively helps. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. More with Callum in just a sec. Very quickly though, I'm just popping up here. Hello again uh, with a quick reminder that if you do enjoy the show if you've learned any tips in in the last 120 episodes that have changed the way that you tell your stories if you want to help us out please do think about supporting and pledging over on our patreon page patreon.com forward slash writers routine for just a couple of dollars a month you can help us keep on bringing you chats with the best authors around finding out how they do what they do and for that pledge Uh, You'll get our thanks, you'll get our merch, and you'll also get a chance for your new book to sponsor the show. So if your book launch was slightly dampened uh, this year because of, well, 2020 really, uh, well, let us promote it for you and give it a big old plug, give it loads of support on the podcast. To get that done, you need to show support for us over on Patreon. Honestly, it means so much. Just a tiny amount a month really goes a long way, really helps us out. Uh, So if you'd like to do that, please do head over to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. 
Right, let's get back to it then with part two uh, of our chat with Callum McSwiggan and the brilliantly named Eat Gay Love. We talk a little bit about that name in this second half, by the way. Uh, We also talk about how he recalls the experience, how he cherry picks the key moments to write about, how he writes it convincingly uh, and puts the reader in, in, in his very place. So they're there doing what he actually once did. Uh, we also talk about the plotting of an experience and we pick things up chatting about his goals, his goals for the book and his goals for the future. You know, a lot of my personal circumstances have changed. I'm now full time working for myself. So I set my own time and I set my own schedule. So I have a lot more time to spend on my writing now. So right now I'm, I'm dedicating basically the majority of my nine to five to writing this next book and you know I, I I'm very hopeful and optimistic but I'm really hoping to be able to get myself in a place where I'm writing a book a year now I know that's quite ambitious and I would be you know a very very lucky writer very lucky author to get myself in that position but that's what I'm working towards right now so I'm kind of building my schedule around the idea that this book that I've now started on will be finished by this time next year I'd like to ask you a question uh, as a memoir writer that I hope doesn't come off as as aggressive that it will have to sound just because these are the only words that I can articulate it with. That's all right. So just bear with. Don't, don't get too annoyed. But when you first start to write a memoir, why do you think that your so- your story is special enough to make people want to read it? Yeah, no, I think it's a completely valid question. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I don't think that my story is particularly special or different. I think everybody has the power and the ability to write a really, really interesting memoir. We have all had fascinating lives, every single one of us. Um, but, you know, it's it's about who actually gets out there and puts those words down into onto paper and shapes them in a way that makes it a great story. Um, I do think that I, I kind of was spurred on a lot by so many of the stories that are within Eat Gay Love. They are kind of the stories that I've been telling you know, at at dinner parties and things for years and years and years. And I know that when I've been telling some of those stories, I can feel the people around the table leaning in and listening and, you know, they want to hear what happens next. So I think that gave me a little bit of confidence in that, you know, there are some interesting stories here. But I don't necessarily think that my stories are any more interesting than anybody else's. I mean, I have lived in a lot of countries, which I think naturally you know, makes things perhaps a little more interesting. But, you know, everybody's lived a fascinating life. What was the moment when you realised that, hang on, this is a story worth telling? Was it when you were on your your travels, did you think, hang on, there is something in this? What was that moment like, Callum? I think it came several years after I kind of, well, I never finished travelling, but, you know, when I was kind of living full-time abroad, I think it happened several years down the line. And again, it was from you know, people constantly saying to me, gosh, this is this is so interesting, Callum. And I think I think a lot of people actually said to me, you know, you should definitely be writing a book, making this into a story. And I think over the years, I've been kind of toying around with lots of ideas for books, some nonfiction, some fiction, I've kind of drifted in and out. But I always found myself very much pulled back and and drawn to this story. Um, And I'm really, really happy that I settled because I, I, I do want to be a fiction writer ultimately but I am really happy in the decision that I made to 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 settle on this one to stick with this one for the first book and yeah I, I, I think and I hope that that's going to be a decision that that serves me well. Will you just take us through it then T- take us through 
what you can of how the story unfolds. So right from the start with the prologue, where you're kind of telling us well, what's going on before, then as, as you begin to, to leave your hometown, just take us through what the story is. Yeah, so the story starts with me in my hometown, very small town that I've lived in my whole life. It points out some of the discrimination that I witnessed in that hometown. I was fired from my one of my first jobs um, when I complained about homophobia on the factory floor. Um, we had anti-gay leaflets advocating for the death penalty pushed into our letterbox, into every single letterbox in town. Um, my boyfriend, fiance, was assaulted. Many, many awful things happened in that town, which again, I don't think is, is that unusual. I think that happens to many people. Um, that that's where we are at the beginning of the story and then you kind of follow me out of that town to deciding to leave it all behind and go traveling and I go through several countries around the world through Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Thailand, India, Spain and then finally end up back in the UK again and again it's 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 very much about my story of coming to find my place, coming to find my place within the LGBT plus community but it's also the story of so many of the LGBT plus people around the world and all of their individual stories and how they very much shaped me as a person. And it, it's, I, I like to say it's, it's a story of the kindness of strangers because there are moments in this book where I find myself in very difficult circumstances and it's, you know, these LGBT people from all over the world who go out of their way to help, to help me and, and help me feel like I'm home. How much did the LGBT plus community surprise you around the world? I didn't know a great deal about the LGBT plus community at the, at the beginning of my story. Again, I was in this small hometown and I knew a few gay men and that was it. You know, I didn't really know any lesbian people, any bisexual people, trans, non-binary people. I didn't, I didn't know any of these people. I just knew, you know, a, a small handful of gay men. So getting out there and and realising that there was this, amazing culture was was incredible and of course it was surprising you know I was meeting so many people with ideas that I, I couldn't even comprehend because I've been in this tiny little bubble you know um, so yeah I was I was really pleasantly surprised and also the the willingness of, of so many people to be so hospitable to me when I was just you know some some random guy from out of town was was amazing I like to think that I would be the the same first you know somebody who's just arrived on a train or got off a plane and I don't know them from Adam but I, I, I can't honestly say that I would so yeah I was incredibly grateful for all of that. You've told these stories at, at dinner parties then you, you, you think this will be a good idea for a, for a memoir I'm going to get it down what do you do on day one when you're sat there writing what what's the very first thing that you do? I, th I, th I think you're supposed to I, I mean I know there's no right and wrong I think you're supposed to tell the story from start to beginning, start at the beginning and work your way through. That is absolutely not what I did. I think I joined, jumped in at the most interesting parts of the story and started writing those down and then figured out how all of those stories thread together in the end. So I think the, 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 the way that I wrote this and the process that I wrote this is it started off very fragmented, lots of little stories scattered all over the place. And then I figured out how, the, how I would pull all those stories together in the end. Probably not the best advice, probably not the best way to do things. But yeah, that want to be honest. So that's the way I did it. So the reverse of that, without thinking about you linking these stories together, how are you how are you distilling so many years of your life 
into 300 odd pages like how are you cherry picking the most relevant bits that are going to fit the narrative of, of the tale that you want to tell how are you how are you picking these out it's a really good question you know like i i, I just said that I, I jumped in and you know chose the most interesting parts of the story but what i then found when i came to you know working on the book further and developing it and editing it was that often some of the most interesting things that happened to me during my travels actually weren't relevant to that kind of central plot that pulls the whole story together and you know this is a story about traveling as an lgbt plus person this is a story about lgbt plus people around the world so there's loads of little stories um that happened to me you know i i i lived in an animal sanctuary um with tigers and lions and bears and all kinds of other animals you can imagine the kinds of stories i have off the back of that but so many of those stories they just didn't fit the premise of the book they didn't have anything to do with the premise of the book so i had to kind of be you know i had to cut them out and just you know there were entire chapters were deleted and lifted away um, because they they just weren't relevant, and that was that was quite a quite a difficult process. I think it's is it Stephen King who said "kill your darlings." Um, so I I very much had to do that. I had to kill my darlings, and that was that was quite quite a difficult process. I guess it's through you know trying really trying to pull myself back there because you've you've got to remember that some of the stories I'm telling in this book we're we're going back eight nine years sometimes. So it it is quite difficult because before I bring the reader on that story, I need to remember myself. So it's really trying to, you know, literally sit there and think, okay, I'm there, I'm living in this memory now, pulling out things like literally going through the five senses, as you say, what can I see around me? What can I smell? What can I taste? And then, you know, trying to pull that together to create a picture. Um, and it is quite difficult to do when you're when you're drawing on memories from from so long ago. Um, and I guess sometimes you have to embellish a little. Perhaps I can't remember what I was specifically eating that day or I can't, you know, I can't remember the specific smell. So you have to kind of play with um, what seems most likely. And more about the words. What are you thinking about the tone? I mean, we spoke about the voice earlier. Uh, what are you thinking about the tone, though? A travel memoirs traditionally are, are quite fun. Uh, but uh, quite informative, maybe. But but you are because th- this is written with with a, with a cause in mind. Um, uh, how, how much of how much thought are you giving to to the tone of of that, especially in some of the dark moments of the story? Yeah, yeah, massively. It was again. It was it was really quite difficult because I still want to have it. I still almost want you to be able to pick this up and read this as as like a fun travel romp. But all the all of those important messages and all of those things are still very much embedded in there. And finding the finding the right balance between those two things was quite difficult. And especially when exploring some of the darker moments, when perhaps just a couple of pages later, you know, it's back to fun and bouncy was very difficult. And that's probably one of the things that I spent the most time agonizing over trying to you know keep it quite light but then strike hard at the issues that matter one of the things that quite a lot of writers will take me through on the show and you mentioned it yourself earlier is the roadmap of the plot when you're figuring out how you're going to tell years worth of your life as, as a story when are you realizing what the next page is going to be about how you're going to end this thing how you're going to tie these things together I think I, I think I always know 
where I'm going. I think whatever I'm writing on the page currently, I'm actually thinking a couple of pages ahead of that. And I think that always helps. It's almost like you're being, you have a destination in mind and everything you're writing, everything you're putting down on the page, you're almost being pulled towards that slowly. So yeah, I think it's always about always about thinking a couple of pages ahead. And obviously if you've, you've got a physical plan, that massively helps because you know from experience trying to just dive into that and do it without a plan can be quite difficult i think i think i feel like talking to you now is really making me realize the the importance of the plan and how much i actually did kind of struggle with without having one and towards the end of the story um uh, how how did you figure out how to pull all these things together? You're talking about your life, your travels, what you're going to do next. I mean, just because you finished a memoir at, at what, 20, 28, 29 years old, whatever it is, um, your your life hasn't ended there, you know, but you need to tie together all of these themes, all of what you've spent 300 pages trying to say. How are you thinking of bringing this, wrapping it all up? I, th- I, I think that the, the takeaway message by the end of the book is very much not this is what I've learned and look at the incredibly developed amazing person I've become it's more look at what I've learned and that's now put me at the beginning of my journey so you know getting to the end of the book that that's not the end that's very much the beginning and I think the process of writing actually massively helped me to understand so much about the the, this story but also to understand I guess so much about myself and I think I didn't even really understand the fundamental underlying point you know the the thing that I really tried to drive home in the epilogue I don't think I even really understood that until I got there until I'd written down all of those stories and and shared them I, I think it was only at that point that I finally realized this is the story that we're trying to tell and this is the point behind it. Talking more about that point what do you want someone anyone that that's finished your book what do you want them to have to have taken away from it what do you how do you want their life to be different when when they close the book than how they started it i think it depends who you are as a person because i think there are many different audiences that will pick up this book and i think all of them will take away something different so i use my father as an example of this he finished reading it a couple of weeks ago and one of the first things he said to me was wow, this really helped me to understand you and your community in a, in a way that I never have before. And I think that that was really, really important to me because, you know, I've been having very open, frank, honest conversations with my dad for about my sexuality for 15 years now. And it was almost like something didn't click. But somehow him reading this book and coming on this journey with me helped him to understand a little bit more about what it means to be an LGBT plus person. So I hope any reader who is not LGBT plus themselves, whether they just pick up this book because they're interested, because they like the idea of a LGBT travel memoir, or because perhaps they are a parent of of an LGBT child, those people, that is what I want them to take away from it. However, for LGBT plus people reading this book, I want it to first be an invitation for them to explore some of the issues in this book a little bit further because you know I I touch upon and talk about so many issues within this book whether that's drug use within the LGBT community or LGBT plus homelessness or different uh, trans identities around the world it's I just really just skim the surface on these things so in a lot of ways I see it as an invitation for people to go away and say okay I am interested in this particular topic I want to educate myself more about this and I want to learn how I can perhaps help 
going forwards. But also I want them to read it and I want it to be a reminder that there is this extraordinary community all around the world, LGBT plus people everywhere. And we are almost a family. And so I, I want it to be reassuring and I want people, I want LGBT plus people to take comfort from this book. Uh, and lastly, uh, the title, Eat Gay Love, by the way, it, it's incredible. <laughs> um, when did the penny drop that that was going to be what it was for you? Uh, so Eat, Eat Gay Love, I've been sitting on for, I mean, it's it's terrible wordplay. Let, let's, <laughs> let's be no, honest. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so my, my first ever blog, which I started in like 2008, 2009, so over 10 years ago, was called Eat Gay Love. Um, and that blog stuck with me for a little while. And then I made a YouTube channel, which was also called Eat Gay Love. So it, it's been around for a while. And when I first started working on the book, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just put Eat Gay Love down as a working title for now. And that won't be the title in the end. But it, it, it kind of stuck and everybody loved it. And I think, you know, it, 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 it does what it says on the tin. You know, it's, it's, it's Eat, Pray, Love, but it's, but it's gay. Yeah, and, and you've always got a line of sweets that you could sell in Soho with a name like that. I really do think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Callum McSwiggan for coming on and telling us all about his debut, his memoir. If you want to grab a copy of Eat Gay Love, please use the link that is in the episode notes. That will mean we get a little bit of a kickback as well, away from the big boys. Uh, you can find that, in yeah, as I say, in the episode notes. Uh, it's also at writersroutine.com. While you're there, use the contact form on the website to get in touch. Let us know what you think. Let us know if there are any authors that you would like to hear from as well. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts too and give us a follow on Twitter. We are at WritersPod on there. Now, next week, we're chatting to Mara Tymon all about her new spy novel set in the Second World War, City of Spies. You can hear the actual experience that she has in espionage that helped her tell that story as well. It's next week on Writer's Routine. I will see you then. Bye. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.